The information and opinions presented in this ARC Energy Ideas podcast are provided for informational purposes only and are subject to the disclaimer link in the show notes. This is the ARC Energy Ideas podcast with Peter Tertzakian and Jackie Forrest, exploring trends that influence the energy business. Welcome to the ARC Energy Ideas podcast. I'm Jackie Forrest. And I'm Peter Tertzakian. Welcome back. Well, Jack, I think it's been about a month or so since we did that hydrogen podcast. We got a lot of listeners on that one. That was the one with Dan Wicklum and David Lazell from the Transition Accelerator. It was a report that highlighted the competitive advantages of producing zero emission blue hydrogen, which is the hydrogen where we capture the CO2 from the process using natural gas. Now there's another report that's just come out. Building a transition pathway to a vibrant hydrogen economy in the Alberta industrial heartland. This is a sequel from the Transition Accelerator. And we've got a couple of guests here today. But before I introduce them, I'll sort of digress for a minute and saying that uh, I grew up in Edmonton. I grew up right next to the industrial heartland, which is immediately to the north geographically. And I remember as a kid, you know, driving out with my parents for a country drive and there'd be all sorts of... Uh, bare land until you went to places like uh, Sturgeon County and you'd see, all of a sudden, you'd see the big petrochemical plants and so on in the north and northeast. And, you know, that, that sort of sat with me. But I went back about, oh, I don't know, three, four years ago and I couldn't believe the development, you know, just the, the development that has happened in Edmonton almost morphing into this industrial complex. And so it is with pleasure today that we have both the mayors of Sturgeon County, Mayor Alana Nyatu, and Mayor of Edmonton, Don Iveson, with us. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and it's great to have you on the show. We're really excited because of the new report that has just come out titled Building a Transition Pathway to a Vibrant Hydrogen Economy in the Alberta Industrial Heartland. And you were both leaders on this task force. Um, so tell us a little bit about the task force. I know you're both really busy people. What made you interested in spending time on, on this topic? I think both John and I understand that the world is changing uh, very quickly. Over 72 countries have pledged to get to net zero emissions by 2050. For example, California even phasing out a complete ban of internal combustion engines. So obviously there needs to be some change, and we want to change with those times. And we must or we'll find ourselves in a new world and unprepared. So making zero emission hydrogen fuel from our natural gas is one of the best opportunities we have to get the economic value from our fossil fuel resources in a way that's compatible with the low-carbon future. The city of Edmonton, if I could just add, has been active for a generation on two parallel fronts. One is a member of Alberta's industrial heartland, keenly interested in what's happening in the energy and value-add space in our province because so much of our economy and growth has been dependent on it, while simultaneously working with Partners for Climate Protection and the Global Covenant of Mayors on Climate Change and other environmental organizations and networks to try to tackle this issue that municipalities have taken seriously for decades now. And so really what's starting to happen is the coming together of the kinds of solutions that will be necessary to reach our climate goals and the economic opportunities that come with them. And hydrogen is the biggest thing to come along in a while, and it's been very refreshing to be talking about tens of billions of dollars of investment potential again in energy in a way that will help us rise to the climate crisis while creating jobs and wealth at the same time and giving relevance to our products uh, here in Alberta and enhancing 
the emissions profile and cleanliness of uh, some of our existing industries, whether it's upgrading or whether it's plastics or, or whether it's transportation fuels or heating fuels. And so we, we just see tremendous potential to achieve both economic goals and environmental goals at the same time. And that's why we're leaning in so heavily to this initiative. Well, and it's important to recognize that you both have a big industrial areas, like Sturgeon County is the home of Alberta's industrial heartland. And in Edmonton, maybe people don't realize, but there are a fair amount of industry and emissions in Edmonton as well. We have the highest per capita emissions profile of cities in the world, really, and that has to do partly with climate and partly being a spread out city with uh, huge transportation loads and distances to cover, but a lot of it has to do with existing industry, much of which is built and spun off from the traditional energy industry, whether it's plastics manufacturers or or whether it's other manufacturers producing equipment for oil and gas. And so all of that uh, productive capacity has an emissions profile to it and uh, greening that up with um, whether it's heating the buildings differently or whether it's moving goods to market with a lower carbon footprint or whether it's decarbonizing the electricity that those industries rely on. We need multiple pathways, and hydrogen's relevant to several of those. Sure. Maybe, Alana, on this note about, well, actually, the name of your region, Industrial Heartland in Sturgeon County, why don't you tell us a little bit about the types of industry and companies that are active in there? There's some really big companies, and not just oil and gas. Well, absolutely. We've got Ivonic, we've got Pembina, we've got Nutrien that makes fertilizer, we've got the NWR, the, the refinery, or the headwaters for the Alberta Carbon Trunk Line. So a lot of polypropylene uh, manufactured there as well. There's a number of commodities, obviously, that make the very best out of our fossil fuel, mm-hmm. and they do so with leading-edge innovation as well. But it is clear that there are changes that we need to make, and they're not going to be easy, and it won't necessarily happen by itself. So by utilizing this task force, we can take a Mm -hmm. proactive approach and start positioning this jurisdiction to win economically and environmentally in a low-carbon world. This is a great opportunity and a really appropriate transition to allow the good work that needs to continue in the chemical and the pet chem industry to happen but by doing it, by just constantly improving our processes and protecting our airshed uh, as we move along. And, and hydrogen gives us that opportunity. Yeah, and you're, I mean, the transition, you're hitting the ground running in many ways. I mean, most people don't know the amount of hydrogen that's already produced in your county and actually the amount that's actually blue, which is really significant. I mean, 40% of all the hydrogen produced in the province is there. And, and so maybe tell us a little bit about how you're already transitioning and, you know, what the potential for more hydrogen is there? Well, as you said, the Heartland does already make some blue hydrogen, but the the issue is, is what's the carbon intensity of that particular blue hydrogen and what is the cost of it? What is the, the grade of it? Is it fuel grade so it can use as fuel or is it industrial grade, which currently is what is manufactured as an input to processes, as I said, in refining and fertilizing or creating fertilizers. So, Blue hydrogen has arrived, we know how to make it, but what we don't have is a hydrogen energy system that we can make it and distribute it at a low cost. So we can use hydrogen across all of those potential uses, as Don mentioned, in, in transportation, as well as heat mm-hmm. and power mm-hmm. uh, and private transport, as well as decarbonizing the existing and uh, potential new industrial uses to achieve net zero emissions. 
Okay, so we'll give a little bit of context from the report. We can make it. We're already making blue hydrogen. We're capturing the CO2 and sequestering it already in the heartland. But the problem really is the demand for it to be used as an energy carrier. And so the report talked about a couple of ideas to create some demand. One idea is replacing the use of diesel for heavy hauling in buses when hydrogen is a lower-cost fuel and it also has greenhouse gas emissions benefits. The problem is we need to get that hydrogen to those heavy haulers. And it's actually expensive to have the vehicles that can consume the hydrogen compared to just the standard vehicles that consume diesel. The report also talked about maybe a transition pathway for starting to use more hydrogen in heavy haulers is to use these dual fuel semi-trucks where they would use about 40% hydrogen and 60% diesel. The advantage of that is, you know, if they don't have the access to hydrogen, they can still run on diesel. And the other advantage is it's significantly cheaper to retrofit the truck, it's about $50,000 per truck versus $350,000 per truck if you wanted to go to 100% hydrogen. So the report talked a lot about the advantages of creating fuel stations and even did things like map out the areas in Edmonton and maybe the major trunk lines between Edmonton and Calgary or Edmonton and Fort McMurray be advantaged to get these fueling stations. A couple questions on that is public funding needed to build out these first corridors and Has there been much level of interest from private semi-truck operators to use these type of corridors? Sure, maybe I can address that. I think when you're looking at, you know, a change, a fundamental change to the energy mix, particularly one that we're trying to achieve this quickly, it's still market transformation and what's going to propel it to be successful is scale and and public sector intervention alone, notwithstanding big public fleets, which I'll talk about in a second, because I'm really excited about what this could mean for everything from public transit to garbage collection for municipal fleets. But really to get the numbers in terms of demand, long-haul trucking is one of the obvious places to go. And I know there are trials happening for fuel cell uh, long-haul trucks uh, currently, which is really exciting. But this retrofit because, you know, widespread adoption of electrification or fuel cells, you know, that, that may take until beyond 2030 when we need to brought down emissions in order to uh, achieve Paris goals, for example. And so the retrofit of existing diesel engines, and again, you know, this could be something that, uh, that can be accelerated as part of the federal government's low and zero emission fleets program, which we're working with them for municipal fleets working with a set of incentives that help us achieve these emissions reduction goals in private fleets as well it makes a lot of sense. But you, it's a chicken and egg question. In order to be able to justify all of the fueling infrastructure, you mm-hmm. need to have achieved the bulk demand. But to have demand, people need to be assured that the fueling infrastructure in there. So someone's got to be a first mover. And that's where I do think there is a role for, for the public sector to partner with the private sector to ensure that there is scale of that infrastructure at well mm-hmm. at the same time providing incentives for those retrofits of the massive number of existing vehicles whose emissions profile can be cleaned up in short order. Jobs can be created in doing that. And I think if we can build an industry of doing that for Western Canada. Yeah. So on that pursuit, you, you speak about public sector financing of things like uh, fleets, potentially fueling stations and so on. So public sector is code for government. Does that imply this is uh, led by Edmonton, the city, or province, or federal? Like, wh- what's the uh, what's the current state of levels of government that want to finance this kind of thing? 
Well, like, like most things, you know, the municipal government works with eight cents of the tax dollar and already has 60% of the public infrastructure to steward, and, and energy systems haven't been part of that for a long time since we got out of the energy and electricity business. And so it's really beyond our jurisdiction and capacity. Where we have an opportunity is to provide convening power leadership, which is what Mayor Natu and I and the other mayors have been doing, partnering with folks like the Transition Accelerator to do the policy work and then bring the advocacy to the senior orders of government with mm -hmm. uh, a credible case for change. And really out of the 92 cents that they have, and both of them have dollars and proceeds of carbon pricing, so the provincial government, credit to Alberta for being the first with carbon pricing in Alberta, through the TIER program, has funds that could mm. be used to support this kind of change and achieve ESG goals, which will be attractive to investors. And then again, we can be part of telling that story. So I think our role is is more in the policy development and advocacy phase. But certainly as a potential user, I would bring our municipal fleets in for pilot purposes, as well as to make commitments around procurement to help us achieve our goals as well. But really, the federal government has, uh, through Western economic diversification and as part of making sure that Western Canada is, is looked after and is benefiting from this transition to a low-carbon future, has many levers to pull, both regulatory as well as uh, incense, financial incentives. And, and the conversations with both orders of government have been positive about the opportunity here, uh, which does have an economic payback for those investments. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the importance of municipal fleets. The paper talked about the fact that they could really get this going because they could start to build out some of that infrastructure and fueling stations. And they have an advantage because they come back to the same place and have a fairly small route that they travel on. Now, I know the Edmonton city just bought a bunch of electric buses, and today electric buses look a lot more economic than hydrogen. Do you think that fleets are going to go more electric, or is there an opportunity here for hydrogen? Well, I'm really interested in this question because, you know, a lot of people will tell you we have to do all this and put all our bet, you know, on, on black or on red. But I think we got to try everything. You know, I'm interested in what the future of fuel cell buses could look like still. You know, there was lots of exciting Canadian innovation around that. Then things kind of went dark for a while. But then if you've got abundant hydrogen because you've got scale, all of a sudden as that technology evolves, that may be what we settle on. Electric is ready to go and has a cost-effective payback over its life cycle now, so that's what we're betting on today. But, you know, we've got a 1,000 buses at the city of Edmonton and 40 electric buses. Now, even if we buy all electric or fuel cell from here on out, you know, we've still got some buses that are three or four years old that have another decade or more of service life in them that are diesel. And they're relatively clean diesel. They're high, high standards of emissions. But the opportunity to retrofit those is uh, one of the exciting parts of this because over the, the remaining life cycle of the bus, if we can bring the emissions profile down, then really it's about squaring the benefits. And this is where carbon mm -hmm. pricing is an important factor in accelerating this. And we've been advocates for carbon pricing in the city of Edmonton since way before it was cool and have the scars to prove for it. But it's getting the incentives right to um, be able to make a financeable proposition. Yep. The buses. You know, it's interesting and there's a segue into the bigger, heavier hauling vehicles and so on. The real emissions, I mean, the really big emissions are come from the industrial emitters and, you know, things like the fertilizer and cement and all that kind of stuff, petrochemicals. So maybe coming back to you, Alana, like talk about the 
willingness of some of these big companies in in your jurisdiction and the commitments they're making to reduce emissions and migrate to solutions like hydrogen? Well, you know, we know of utility companies and many energy and pipeline companies and others that want to be able to use hydrogen to decrease their uh, GHG emissions. One of the issues that most of these companies are trying to figure out how to do this on their own. And so we're in the process of launching a hydrogen node in the greater Edmonton region. And this is a new model that convenes the stakeholders along the full hydrogen value chain and does the analysis required to understand the pros and cons of the different hydrogen system configurations. Because obviously the complexity of developing a hydrogen market requires more open system of knowledge sharing than what previous research and development programs have done. And the Heartland is already heavily invested in the fundamental sector processes and relationships to develop the technology and the adoption of hydrogen in global decarbonization. So the model already provides an effective model for establishing value-added production chains and their related networks for innovation. Mm -hmm. And we have a proven track record in the international marketplace and investment uh, attraction sector. So the node model will complement the work of the Government of Canada and the provincial government through the the road mapping and the, the draft plans that they're working on because we need to develop a hydrogen system that has the objective of reducing the cost of hydrogen, which is why we you know, spoke to the need to drive up demand uh, initially, which is the important part that municipalities play in supporting industry in this transition. So all of this work will help to advance the hydrogen economy and make it easier on individual companies to make this transition. Mm-hmm. One thing about the paper, it talked about the importance of starting to blend some hydrogen into our natural gas stream, and we can blend as much as 20% in. And I know there's a trial going on in, in Fort Saskatchewan this year on that. But the thing about that is if we started to do that, we could actually start to produce hydrogen at a much bigger scale. And the paper talked about the need to get to a certain scale to drive the prices down. And at that point, we would have this ability to start to use 100% hydrogen in the industrial heartland, and also in there's some big industrial consumers in the Edmonton area as well. You know, if we had this large-scale zero-emissions hydrogen production hub and node, as you talk about, do you think it would attract new investment into your cities? For example, maybe a steel manufacturer or a petrochemical plant would come to Alberta to create a zero-emissions facility because we have access to this hydrogen. Maybe companies like Google would set up a zero-emissions server farm because they've made a goal They'd need to be 24-7, zero-emission power, and they'd come here to set up that type of facility. Do you think that this could really drive a lot of investment into Alberta and your communities? I think we've heard loud and clear from investors who are hearing from their own shareholders and around their kitchen tables from their kids that ESG provisions are now driving the bulk of global investment across all kinds of whether it's energy or whether it's manufacturing or whether it's technology. And so this is now table stakes. So finding an initiative that gives us a competitive advantage within the North American context where we can say, you know, we are transitioning to this future boldly and confidently and we see opportunity in it and here's how we're going to set you up to achieve your compliance with 2030 and 2050 goals that you can put in your annual report and and attract employees by saying we're a leader in this. So this is becoming table stakes for for economic development work all around the world. And, you know, people have argued why Canada or why Alberta has been blacklisted from investors. And there's 
you know, I think we need to move forward from that debate and, and accept that the investors really do get to decide. In this case, the market will make this decision for us, but I think the market has also communicated very clearly that zero emissions opportunities are table stakes. So we need to move quickly to be able to secure that, uh, whether it's a server farm uh, that we can say is going to be zero emissions, uh, you know, also taking advantage of the cooling advantages of our latitudes, you know, let's leverage all of our competing strengths. Uh, mm-hmm. But this has got to be part of the conversation and resisting this change hasn't helped us, I think, leaning into a future for our products and a story about how we are embracing innovation and new technology, I think it helps us you know, make sure that some of those investment decisions are the companies who built these uh, retrofit systems and uh, other manufacturers who are going to set up and be part of this this hydrogen mm-hmm. economy and build the appliances that will be able to use 100% hydrogen mm-hmm. rather than a 20% blend, for example. So those are the longer-term leveraged economic development opportunities that can come from this. And those kind of things are on the list. And so picking up on your comment about moving quickly, the report concluded with 15 recommendations. I mean, that's a long list of things to do. And some of those things on the list are really big. It's a 30-year roadmap. Uh, You know, things like standards and regulations, the need to blend more hydrogen with natural gas over time, scaling up carbon capture, which is a huge area in itself, and increasing the number of hydrogen vehicles. Those are just some of the recommendations, and underneath those are sub-recommendations. Maybe as we sort of finish up here, you can, each of you, just give us like the top two. Like, what, what, what is the most actionable thing that you're working on like right now based on this report? Well, I think launching the hydrogen node is, is the next step, and, and we're well on our way to doing that. We've got a management team, and we have a municipal fleets team, because this is a tremendously complex operation in front of us. We're, we're talking about retooling a complete energy system along a full value chain from production to distribution and use, and, mm-hmm. and hopefully uh, sooner rather than later to export. But, you know, we're not starting from scratch. Uh, we already make blue hydrogen, and we'll likely be able to use much of our existing infrastructure, as, as you've mentioned before, you know, hijacking what's already there mm-hmm. uh, using some slight retrofit. And as we've stated earlier, the, the challenges do play to our strengths, and, and we are moving forward together. And as the members of the Heartland Association, we have a 22-year track record. So we are uniquely positioned to support this hydrogen economy through the node because of being a highly concentrated and effective link through government, entrepreneurs, and investors. And as Don mentioned, working to engage industry and investors and to access some of that capital as well, because for hydrogen to be the moonshot that it can be, it will require all hands on deck from all levels of government and funding in such a way that it does not require subsidies into the future. So we are going to work very closely along that value chain to be able to come up with, as you said, the open system to be able to constantly be taking in information from subject matter experts, creating policy and regulations that are going to support the appropriate development of this new economy and just constantly refining mm-hmm. uh, and adopting that information as it comes in. So for us, driving that demand on the municipal fleet side and working to get further blends into heating, you know, commercial and institutional buildings, I think is a great way to start that scale up. And so that's uh, that's what we're focused on. That's what I'm focused on. I'll yeah. let uh, I'll let Mayor Iveson speak for Edmonton. 
Well, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think finding customers is really one of the most important things we can do and the blending initiatives, both for fleets with retrofits and, and for gas networks for heating and for power, I think is really exciting. I think we can sign people up. And really that's part and parcel of the other key priority for me coming out of this, which is coalition building. And that's a mix of public sector, which you see across all orders of government uh, with strong potential to build a intergovernmental strategy. And wouldn't it be nice if Alberta and Canada and, and our region and local governments, urban and rural, could come together and say, this is a phenomenal growth and investment opportunity for us. So I think that the ingredients are there for the coalition to come together, but it's also got to include some of the private sector players that we've been talking to, ATCO on the distribution side, Shell on the production side, and industrial use side, Air Products, which wants to get into this, and, and even talking with these folks about the pathway to a green hydrogen industry as part of the node in the long term, too, as carbon capture reaches sort of a, a capacity. But because we've got so much headroom there, we do have a natural advantage that industry is well aware of, government's well aware of, our public's not as well aware of. And But um, an engagement like this and a chance to talk about it and, and build some hope at a time where Albertans could really use it, I think, is really, really helpful. And that'll help widen the coalition to to everyday Albertans who, who maybe are struggling right now, wondering what their future in manufacturing or the energy industry is going to be. And this is a pathway for continued relevance for our province and our products in the world. So part of that coalition building includes some hope. And, and thank you for helping us convey a bit of that excitement. Well, and thank you so much for joining our podcast. I want to encourage our listeners to download the report. We'll put a link in the show notes, Building a Transition Pathway to a Vibrant hydrogen economy in the Alberta industrial heartland. You know, it's really been exciting to hear your level of involvement, the vision that you have, the amount of knowledge both of you have in this area. And I really look forward to hearing how this continues to progress because I totally agree with you. This is a path that we as Albertans should support because it offers us a pathway to a lower carbon economy. Yeah, thank you from Sturgeon County Mayor Elena Nacho and from Edmonton Mayor Don Iveson. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for the invitation. And thanks for our listeners. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate us on the app that you listen to and tell someone else about us. For more ideas and insights, visit arcenergyinstitute.com.